Good morning, everyone. Uh, once again, I want to thank uh, our sports committee, our golf committee. Um, I want to recognize especially our brother uh, Ted, our brother Mark, uh, brother Seong, and for all the volunteers who came out yesterday uh, to help make this uh, event possible. Uh, thank you so much. Um, uh, to our brother John, um, we welcomed you back a few months ago. Uh, we're glad that you're here. Um, if you uh, want to get to know him more or continue to support the ministry that's going on in Cambodia, please feel free to reach out to him, uh, speak with him. Um, I, I got a little nostalgic this morning uh, because um, before John left for Cambodia, he actually left his Bible. <laughs> he left his Bible in the office, and I was thinking, why are you going to Cambodia? You didn't even bring your Bible. Uh, but he had left his Bible, and this morning I was going through it, uh, anticipating uh, John doing the announcements. And we found, uh, this is actually in my handwriting, uh, two years ago when John finished this internship, uh, he came back to the States, and he was convicted to go back to Cambodia, but he had no idea what he, uh, how he would go back. Uh, and so we sat down. Uh, you remember that meeting, John? We sat down. We uh, planned this out on this little sheet. Uh, I wrote out, you know, John's two-year plan, two- to three-year plan, and we wrote all these things down. And I have to tell you, even while I was writing these things down and speaking with John, you know, I was like, I don't know if he can go back. <laughs> uh, there are so many things here that he had to do, uh, whether it's uh, English teaching certificate or uh, mission training, uh, support raising, and uh, the Lord, um, in his good provision, um, actually heard, and he was able to actually go out according to this plan. The only thing that John wasn't able to do was uh, get married. That was also one of the things. Uh, <laughs> the Lord gives and takes away, right? Um, but uh, praise God for that. Um, yeah, uh, you've been such an encouragement to our body. And um, yeah, he will present uh, during our mission night uh, coming up in October. In terms of the dates and the time, we'll um, share that information as the time comes. Uh, now let's have God's Word open us up to Galatians chapter 2. Uh, we'll read from Galatians chapter 2, and we'll also read uh, John chapter three sixteen. So if you could just bookmark that, uh, Galatians 2. 20, and we will read uh, John 3, 16. So let's all rise. This is God's Word. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Sing, teach us, teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes, 
in the radiance of your purity. Cause our faith to rise, cause our eyes to see your majestic love and authority. Words of power that can never fail, let their truth prevail over unbelief. Okay. All right. I'm preaching with one hand tied behind my back now. All right. All right. Einstein is sitting next to a man on a flight. Einstein turns to the man and says, hey, you know, it's a long flight. How about we play a little game? The man says, sure. Then Einstein says, I'll ask a question, and if you can't answer it, you give me five dollars. And then you can ask me a question, and if I can't answer it, I'll give you 500 man thinks, it's not a bad deal. Let's play. So Einstein starts, and he asks, how far is it from here, the earth, to the moon? The man thinks for a while. He knows he's heard it before a few times, probably in school or somewhere. But he says, you know, I don't have the exact answer. He reaches in his pocket and gives Einstein $5. Then the man asks Einstein, Okay, what goes up a hill on three legs and comes down on four? Einstein thinks and thinks to himself. After a while, he says, I don't know. He gives the man $500. Now it's Einstein's turn, but he says, before I ask my question, I have to ask you, what does go up on three legs and come down on four? The man smiled reached in his pocket and gave him $5. Don't fact check me on this story. I found it on the internet, and you know how those things go. (laughs) The point is that sometimes we ask questions that we don't quite know how to answer. As we continue in our sermon series, we are looking at the second clause of our mission statement. So let's bring it up again real quick. Right? The mission of Eternal Life Mission Church is to make disciples who live out the gospel in word and deed. Last week we talked about what it means to be a disciple, and this week we are going to consider what does it mean then to live out the gospel. Again, last week a quick refresher. We're trying to build the momentum here. We learned that being a disciple is someone who Jesus calls to follow me, Stay with me and see what I am doing. Likewise, being a disciple of Jesus is synonymous to being a Christian. We, we were very clear in establishing that there is no tier system in Christianity. It's not like you're a Christian and then you graduate from basics and then become a disciple. In fact, that the word disciple is used over 200 times in the Bible. Whereas Christian is only used three times. And so we have established that discipleship is not like an internship. That discipleship, although it involves doing, its emphasis is on being. 
following Jesus, staying with Jesus, and seeing what Jesus is doing. So today, as we focus on the next clause, who live out the gospel, we are ultimately asking the question here, what does it mean to live out the gospel? It's a simple question, but it's a big question. And what do we do when we have a difficult time with questions about the Bible? We ask a pastor. So I call Pastor Stephen. (laughs) Hey, Pastor Stephen. (laughs) What does it mean to live out the gospel? Needless to say, he reached in his pocket and handed me $5. (laughs) All joking aside, it's a big question. And so I did ask him, in all honesty, hey, what does it mean? What are we trying to get at? What are you thinking? How how should we continue to direct this understanding as we as we lead and serve and love and preach to and shepherd our church? And so after some back and forth, after some prayer, after some thought, I realized that to try to keep it very simple, we're just going to ask three questions. You can see up here first, what is the scope of the gospel? Second, what is the message of the gospel? And then third, the question at hand, what does it mean to live out the gospel? So we're going to consider the scope of the gospel, the message of the gospel, and then also the meaning of living that out. Now, I want to say that it'll be impossible to give an exhaustive sermon on the gospel along with all of its possible implications, with all of its possible applications. And in fact, that every sermon should contain the gospel to varying degrees, and that every sermon should have implications and applications to our daily lives. But, but today, as we consider Eternal Life Missions Church's mission, as we consider our mission to make disciples who live out the gospel, again, we're going to think about the scope of the gospel, the message of the gospel, and I hope to offer you a framework in which we see the gospel being lived out with eternity in mind. So let's get right into the first, the scope of the gospel. I want us to look at Galatians 2.20 one more time. We'll be up there for you. I'll read it. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the Apostle Paul, a disciple of Jesus, a New Testament Christian, who writes here that he has been crucified with Christ. He no longer lives, but Christ lives in him. What he's trying to say is, I am a natural man who was born into this life, but having heard the call to Jesus to follow me, see me, and, and stay with me, I, through that belief, was also crucified with him. So, so being born, I now died, and then I am now given a new life. Paul gives us this transition of his life stage. Life to death to new life. This suggests that the nature of his life has been completely altered. His life has been completely changed in light of Jesus. As we would see in the Gospel of John, he is born again. It's no longer just Paul who was born on this date, by these parents. Now it's Paul who was born a sinner, but then crucified with Christ to be born again in a newness of life. Paul is saying, now my life is completely different. 
Because I no longer live, but Christ lives in, in me. And so the f- life I now live in the flesh with Christ dwelling inside of me, I live by faith for the Son of God who gave himself up for me and loved me. This is what Paul is getting at. Again, this implies that Paul, having become a disciple of Jesus, now lives a newfound life, completely driven by this gospel news that Jesus loves him, has given himself up for him, and has called him to be his disciple. So now when Paul lives in the flesh by faith, everything he does, he does it in a way to live out the gospel. Now, much else can be said about this passage, but this is what I want to focus on. As we think about what the scope of the gospel is, I want to say this. The gospel is not just informative, but it's transformative in nature. Right? The gospel isn't just an information clause, a statement that we read, we understand, memorize, and goes, okay, I can regurgitate that, I can say that, I know it, I've memorized it. No, the gospel... In its contained information, in this news, is transformative in nature. That's why Paul says, I no longer live. He's been transformed to a new life. Let me give you an illustration again, because this is not the gospel and, and being a Christian and being a disciple is not simply saying, I, I believe in this philosophy or this theology or this religion or subscribe to this statement. I identify as this on the dating apps or politically speaking. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with that. Primarily speaking, the gospel is supposed to be transformative. If I can put it even more dramatically, it's supposed to turn your life upside down. For some of us, in a way, it's supposed to ruin our lives and ultimately Remake it beautifully. So let me give you an illustration. It's like a husband and a wife when they find out that they're with child now, that the wife has conceived and she's pregnant. This news is not just information, right? When you look at that stick and you see two lines, it's not just, oh, yeah, there's a baby inside of me. Good job, honey. When you see that, when when you think about it, when you say it out loud, it's not just information that you register and then tuck away. It's transformative, right? It doesn't just tell you what has happened, is happening, and will happen in the biology of the woman, but this news reshapes and reorients the entirety of this couple's life. Their identity has changed. They're no longer just husband and wife. They are father and mother. Their whole worldview has changed. Every opportunity, every decision, every plan that they make has to now involve this good news that a child will be born to them. Their whole priorities shift. Their main joys in life isn't simply enjoying one another, going to nice restaurants, traveling, buying all the things they wanted to as adolescents. Their priority is now thinking about there's going to be a life we have to care for, love, and protect. Practically speaking, some of you guys are in this. I am. And perhaps because this is the easiest low-hanging fruit in my life, I decided to use it as an illustration. But practically speaking... (coughs) When you find out that you are going to have a child, what happens? You share the good news with all your friends and your loved ones. You change your whole approach to life, right? Eating. The wife starts 
take prenatal vitamins. She avoids lunch meat, hot dogs, sushi. I know some of those are myths. I know some of you guys, you know, have sushi. It's okay. I'm not trying to condemn anything. Please, I'm not mom shaming. I'm not dad shaming. I'm not shaming anyone. I'm just trying to say that it affects our whole life, right? The way we eat changes. The way we drink changes. The way we sleep changes. You know, my wife had to buy the special pillow. It's basically, she's cheating on me. There's a whole, it's basically a size of a whole nother body. And she hugs and snuggles into it. I'm just getting pushed, inched off to the bed. The way you sleep changes. The way you do work and go about it changes. And then you discuss to choose a name. And you think about the meaning of this name. You think about all the possibilities of this name becoming a nickname and how your child will be addressed in the future by family, friends, and coworkers. You prepare the sacred baby room. You furnish it. You paint it. You decorate it. You buy a car seat, a stroller. You buy clothes, swings, toys. You go to the doctors regularly. You know exactly which hospital you're going to deliver at. You've already done and made sure that your insurance covers it. You make plans. You pack your go bag. You have emergency contacts ready. Your parents and community come and help us. The whole support system is established. And after your child is born, you raise your child. You go to more doctor appointments. And you plan the 100-day celebration of life, right? Pegil. You plan and celebrate for the one year, the tol. And every other birthday along the way, you find childcare, daycare, school, piano lessons, soccer practice, taekwondo, etc. You feed them, talk to them, dress them, bathe them. You wear them, you nap them, you put them down, you wake them up. You wipe their tears, you clean their snot, you embrace them when they're sick. You tuck them in, you tell them you love them, you tell them you're proud of them, you teach them, you pray for them. You share with your friends and family of how hard it is. You also share how beautiful it is. And everything in between. You cry, you laugh, you stay up late, you wake up early, you ponder, you dream, you fear, you question, you doubt, you hope, and you hope again. The good news of Jesus is the same. It's not just informative, but it's transformative. The gospel calls into scope our whole life, our entire life. It changes every aspect of it. It changes the way we go about our morning routine, our work, our day-to-day, our relationships, the way we sleep, the way we eat, the way we drink, the way we converse, the things we go to, the things we don't go to, the things we see, the things we cover our eyes from. Friends, it's so easy, and I'll be the first one to confess, to compartmentalize the gospel to Sunday or Christmas and Easter, or baptism, funerals, and weddings. As if the gospel and living out the good news of Jesus can just be compartmentalized in these special little moments, and then we can go about living our lives elsewhere. But in fact, we see, as Scripture teaches us, as we desire in our mission to be disciples who live out the gospel, Jesus doesn't ask for parts of our lives. He doesn't even offer to redeem parts of our lives. He asks for our whole life and every part of it. And he says he'll give us a new life. So then the scope of the gospel is our whole life. It's the entirety of it and every part beautiful and broken. The scope of the gospel, all of me. Second point, and what is the message of the gospel? 
One of the clearest articulations, as you may know, is John 3.16. Let's look at it. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. In this we can see that God did not only create the world, but he loved it. He loved all of nature, all of the creatures, but most of all, he loved the world, focusing here on his image-bearing creatures, man and woman, you and I. For God so loved the world. He loved the world. He desired in his creatures who bore his image to have a deep and personal relationship with them for all eternity. God loved his creation. God loved his creatures. God loved man and woman. Then we see that somewhere along the line that things went wrong. Sin entered and not only messed up creation, but also God's image-bearing creatures, Adam and Eve, and everyone else to come. So much so that they would eventually, we would eventually perish unless God intervenes and saves. Therefore, John 3.16 goes on, he gave his one and only begotten eternal son, the second person of the Trinity, to come down into creation, being born in the likeness of man, yet without sin. And by entering his creation, being made like his creatures, Jesus lived the life of obedience and intimate relationship with God that man was no longer able to because of sin. Jesus then sacrificed himself, ransomed himself on the cross, bearing the weight of sin. Why? So that whoever believes in his atoning work would not perish but have eternal life. The gospel is simple. We are broken. God loves us. Jesus came, took our brokenness, and if we believe in him, we can have eternal life. It's simple, but it's vast in the ways it can be applied, massaged, nuanced, and brought into our lives as a jewel, as a guiding principle, as a way of life. And this is why we see that the coming of Jesus is good news. You've heard it before. The gospel means good news. Good news means the gospel. Because it comes in the light of the fact that we are sinners who would perish in our sins without a Savior. This gospel then transforms us from our previous perishable life to a newness of life that is hidden and tucked away in Jesus. In such a way, as Paul said in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The message of the gospel is love, forgiveness, acceptance. All of that leading to eternal life. So then the mission of our church, our mission here, is to make disciples, it's to be disciples who live out the gospel with the scope of our whole life in view with this very message that I am broken, but I am saved, and I am born again with Jesus. So Jesus sanctifies us, right? 
little by little, every day, little by little, in every way. If all this is true, then what does it mean to live out the gospel again? That's the question at hand we're trying to get at. What does the gospel-centered life look like? As we have John 3.16 up there, I want to try to uh, uh, look at this in three different spheres. Because I think right here in John 3.16, it lays out three aspects in which the gospel can address our lives. First, the world. So we'll look at creation. Second, the perishing element. So we'll look at the fall. And then lastly, eternal life. And so we'll look at redemption. So as we consider the gospel and as we consider our lives, as we're thinking about the question, what does it mean that to live out the gospel, I want us to engage it in these three spheres. What does it mean to live out the gospel in light of creation in God's world? What does it mean to live out the gospel in fallenness, in sin? And lastly, what does it mean to live out the gospel in redemption? I know, I snuck in three extra points under the three questions, but I'll promise I'll move fast. Creation, fall, redemption. First, creation. There's a song. Uh, I know it's one of Pastor Stephen's favorite hymns. And I think it really captures this idea of us in the way we engage with all of nature. This is my father's world. I don't have it up, but I'll read it for you. This is my father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings and around me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. The birds their carols raise. The morning light and lily white declares their maker's praise. This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas. His hand the wonders wrought. This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king, let the heavens ring. God reigns, let the earth be glad. This is my Father's world. He shines in all that is fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This means that we can live out the gospel even as we observe and interact with all the different types of natures, seasons, skies, sea, lands, creatures. This means we can travel and, or even look out the window or even walk and see the world and admire God's creation and give him glory and praise. This means we can hike, bike, run, walk, look through binoculars, take pictures, write poems, write books, draw, paint, or just stand there and simply gaze. And give him honor and glory and praise. And say, God, you are good. You have made all of this. And you loved it. You didn't quit on us. You didn't forget us. You didn't wipe us. But you loved us. And you loved me. And this is why you gave your only son. John Piper says this. If created things are seen and handled as gifts of God and as mirrors of his glory... They need not be occasions of idolatry. If our delight in them is, also, is always also a delight in their masters. I know it's easy to look out in the world and just try to label it as all bad or all temptation. But if you think and know that all creation was made by the hands of God who loves us, then we can look out and see it through eyes of faith and give him praise and glory. 
We can also live out the gospel as created beings who bear God's image, as we're told in Genesis, and who were made in his likeness. Right, so it's not living out the gospel simply by just going out in nature, but it's living out the gospel and realizing that I am a created image bearer of God. He created me. This means the gospel addresses our identity, who we are. It addresses our sexuality and what we think of our bodies, what we do with our bodies, how we view others. It speaks to how we ought to view the conception of life, the gift of life, the frailty of life, the beauties and joys of life. It speaks to the fact that the gospel has something to say about who we are and what we do and how we live, how we praise, how we cry, how we mourn, how we hope, and how we fear because we are created beings who God loves. Psalm 139, we'll just flash it up there for you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. As we think about the world and our interactions with it, the Bible recognizes, right, that things are broken. They are not as they should be. You know, one interesting perspective I heard about when Jesus came and did all the miracles, people are losing their minds. They think that he's doing all these miracles. One perspective is this. He's not, he might be doing miracles, but what he's actually doing is restoring what sin has done. He's healing the sick, opening the eyes of the blind. And so, yeah, it's a miracle, but it's a miracle that is restorative to the way it ought to have been before sin had entered. So what I'm trying to say is that the Bible is not just, hey, nature is beautiful, go enjoy it. Hey, I created you beautifully, you enjoy life. But it recognizes in creation, sin had entered and had broken and ruined everything. That sin has disrupted, distorted, and caused division between creator and creation. But the good news of the gospel goes as far as the curse is found. On Christmas, we sing joy to the world. And some of the lyrics is, No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found. It's interesting, I never picked up on it because I think the tune is so strong and it's so jolly. But when I think and reflect on the lyrics, it's saying that Jesus, the good news of Jesus, the work he has done to, 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 to restore this brokenness that sin has affected, it reaches not, again, aspects and parts of our lives, parts and nooks and crannies of creation, but it goes as far as the curse is found. And so the th- second sphere as we interact with the fall I want us to look at Romans 8, 22 real quick to 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. You see, the reality is that because of sin, we live in a sin-fallen world. I don't know if you ever heard or thought about this, but Consider this, even natural disasters, natural disasters, 
is, is disorder and chaos being wrought in nature. Wars, disorder, injustice, terrorism, brokenness. This is all because of sin. But even in this, right? Even in this, the gospel tells us that God is redeeming all things through Jesus. If you, if you, if you remember with me in Revelation 21, John is having a vision and we see glimpses of what he sees, and he tells us this in Revelation 21, as he sees all these magnificent and glorious things that is to come in eternity, he says, I heard a voice that came from God who was sitting on this throne, and he said, behold, I am making all things new. John is saying, hey, I know when we look out in the world, there's brokenness. I know when we look in our own lives, there's brokenness. But there is In the gospel of Jesus, restoration for creation, redemption for sinners. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 18, we quote this often. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old had passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Out there in creation, as John sees in Revelation 21, he says, And I saw the old world passing away and the new heavens and the new earth coming. There's a transition. Old is going, new is coming. 2 Corinthians 2 is saying, As we come to Jesus, the old is going and the new is coming. As Paul says in Galatians, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This means that living out the gospel in a sin-fallen world as sin-fallen people gives us hope. In the face of natural disasters, wars, disorder, and injustice, we can be disciples who help usher in God's transformative restoration and redemption. Living out the gospel as disciples, also means that we can forgive one another, knowing that our sins are forgiven. We can live knowing there is no shame or guilt. We can love one another and be like Christ, his hands and feet for one another and in the world around us. As you can see, because the gospel scope is our whole life, because the message is transformative, when we're thinking about what it means to live a gospel-centered life, it's not just one thing. It's so many things. There's so many applications. Lastly, redemption. How do we live out the gospel in light of redemption and the eternal life Jesus promised to us? John 10, look with me. My sheep hear my voice. This is Jesus speaking. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. You see, you see the 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 pattern and the repetition of the themes and words. My sheep hear my voice, as Jesus calls us. I know them and they follow me. They follow me, they stay with me, they see my works. And as they come and follow me, I give them eternal life so they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
You see how it's paralleling John 3.16. You see how it's calling into our memory once more Galatians 2.20, Revelations 21, and, and a slew of other areas in Scripture. I love the affirmation that Jesus gives us. <clears throat> so then to live at the gospel in light of redemption and eternal life, if I can put it simply, is that all eternity is ahead of us. All eternity is ahead of us. It's promised to us. It's secured for us. And so we don't have to make plans out of fear because of the temporary difficulties. We can make plans knowing that all eternity is given to us in Jesus. You know, I want to conclude. I know a lot has been said, but again, as we think about what it means to make disciples and also be disciples who live out the gospel, we've established that the gospel has in scope our whole lives, that the message of the gospel is transformative, and that to live out the gospel means we have to consider in creation and fall and redemption all the ways it can be applied and redeemed and restored. But if I can leave you with one idea as we think about living out the gospel, I want to give you this phrase. It's a Latin phrase. Many of you know it. Coram Deo. It's a Latin phrase that literally translates to face God, meaning to live before the face or the presence of God. So if I can just give you this illustration or this, this, this type of um, just simple idea, being a disciple who lives out the gospel simply means that we live our lives before the face of God, before his presence. And let me give you an illustration. You can show the picture here. When I was in Bulgaria for a mission uh, with, our, with our team here, on some of the longer drives, we noticed these huge fields of sunflowers. And it was beautiful. And I remember looking out, seeing all the sunflowers, if you imagine them as humans, tilting and facing the sun. And I was like, wow, is, what is that? And one of the hosts told us sunflowers always face the sun. And, and, and I thought that was so beautiful. And so I've always had that illustration in my back pocket for Coram Deo. That to live before the face of God means like being a sunflower who faces the sun. And so, because I know some of you like to troll me, I made sure I did my research. And Mr. Google let me know that this is not always true. <laughs> it literally said, sunflowers always facing the sun is a myth. And I was like, oh, man, now the illustration's ruined. So I decided, should I just lie to you? Should I use it anyway? Should I risk, you know, being fact-checked and someone emailing me eight times this week? I'm just kidding. No one really does that. I, I don't want to paint you guys a certain way. But it was interesting, so I read. I was like, okay, then, then, then what's, what's going on here? What's going on here? What's, what's going on? Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Right? I'm reading the fine prints. And it turns out, scientists don't know exactly why, but they have observed. That's a little note on science. I think for the most part, science can't always give the answers. It can give us observations, hypothesis, theories, and it can tell us those things, but it can't tell us where air came from, right? Anyways, that's a little note on science. Scientists don't know exactly why, but through observation, they have realized that sunflowers, when they're young, 
they track the sun. When they're young, when they're growing, when the sun comes out, they will, they will literally turn to face the sun and track it throughout the day. Young sunflowers. But they found through observation that as the sunflower gets older, instead of tracking the sun, it starts to use an internal Carcadian clock or a rhythm. You and I have that, right? You know what it is. Basically, if you don't set your alarm, if you're used to waking up at 7 a.m. every morning, there's that internal clock. You don't have to set your alarm. Boom, you awake, 7 a.m., the internal rhythm. So they said as the sunflower starts to mature and get older, it no longer tracks the sun, but it simply relies on the internal Carcadian rhythm. And I thought about that, and I was like, you know what? That makes this illustration better. Because if we think about it in some ways, right, when we first become a Christian, we are so adamant. What does it mean to live out the gospel? How should I do it? Pastor, should I do this? Should I do that? Uh, I'm, I'm talking to this person. Where should I do? How should I do it? I want to read the Bible. Can you give me a Bible plan? Where are some good books? We're so eager to face God's face, to be in his presence. But I think if we were all to admit those of us who've been a Christian for a while, as the years go on, as we mature in age, we start to rely on our internal rhythm, our internal knowledge, and our internal guiding principles. And although we may think we are tracking with God, we may not be. Church, we need to be like young sunflowers. (laughs) I'm just kidding, but you get the idea. Disciples of Christ... As we endeavor to live out the gospel, as corny as it may sound, let us be like young sunflowers that orients our lives towards God. Let's stop relying on our own internal sense of what a disciple is. Let's stop relying on our own internal sense and what it means to live out the gospel or what being a Christian or going to church is all about. But let's simply turn and orient our whole lives before the face of God, in the presence of God, and in the light of God. And so I want us to keep that picture of the sunflower. And with that, let me give you Revelations 21, 23, 24. And the city, is talking about heaven, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, all the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And so even as we think about Coram Deo, as we think about us orienting our lives before the face of God, we see even in eternity, even though the sun itself will fade away, the moon, the stars, all the heavenly lights, in eternity, it will be God's glory, his light that guides us forever and ever and ever. So in that way, let us live our lives as disciples who live out the gospel before the face of God. That's the end. But I want to give us a few questions to consider. We shared how our community groups in this fall are meeting together, and it's based on the sermon And in our community groups, not this coming Friday, but the following, we'll be rehashing and considering the elements that were presented here in the sermon. And so I want to give us five questions to consider. And these will be the group questions that we look at together in our community groups. Share how you first heard the gospel and came to believe in Jesus. 
What does it mean to be crucified with Christ? What are some areas of your life that you wish the gospel spoke into more? How does the gospel address your life as a person who will continue to struggle with sin? What do you hope to see as a church as we strive to be disciples who live out the gospel? Disciples of Christ, let me ask that you consider this in the coming weeks. Will you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you that you have loved us, your creation, your creatures who are your image bearers. We thank you, Lord, that even though we are broken by sin, you have sent your one and only son to ransom us so that whoever may believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Lord, we thank you for that gospel, that good news. And we thank you that the gospel, again, doesn't call just parts of our lives. It doesn't pick and choose the beautiful or the broken. But when you choose us, when you call us, you ask us to bring all of ourselves. So, Lord, help us to hold every thought captive. Help us to beat our body and make it our slave so that we may run the race and not disqualify for the prize. Help us, Lord, to bring every part of our lives, none hidden from you, but in fact us being hidden in you so that the life we live in the flesh, we would live by faith in the Son of God who loves us and gave himself up for us. Build us up, Lord, as a church to be disciples and to desire to make disciples who live out the gospel in word and deed as we continue in our series, Lord. Give us a sense of unity as we all sit under the preaching, as we all sit in discussion at our community groups. Give us a sense of unity, a mission, and a joy and a fervor to move forward as a church into your kingdom that will soon come. Lord, give us glimpses of eternity. Help us to live out the gospel by your spirit and have your way in us and through us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Church, we continue.